Amen. And we've got over 60 people going through Finding the Rock. And that is tremendous. And I don't, Jeff, my button is missing. Okay. All right. Everybody happy tonight? You know, those of you that are that far in the back, why don't you move forward a little bit closer? I'm not going to ask that, well, unless you just have to stay back there. Ted, lead some of them a little bit closer. Who stole my button? I just want to know. Who was it? Nobody's going to tell. All right. Let's stand together. And uh, are we ready to go here? Let's go back. We're in Philippians part four. We're going to talk tonight about where's the beef. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. But this is the joyful letter. The joyful letter. And let's just dive right in. We're going to finish chapter one. Next week, we're going to do most of chapter two. Now, I want you to see if you can amen this with me. A skeptical world is no longer impressed with words. Amen? Their attitude is, say it with me, where's the beef? That's their attitude. What do we mean by that? In other words, show me how Christianity has made a true difference in your heart, in how you experience life, in how you feel toward others, how happy you are. Talk is cheap, real cheap, super cheap, mega cheap. But show me the beef. I want to know, I want to see your life and how Jesus really made a difference. Paul was the king at this. The following passages provide an x-ray of the apostles' interior life and how Jesus always gave him the victory. I, I think Paul is the most amazing attitude good attitude, positive attitude, overcoming attitude in the history of the world. You can't show me somebody better. All right? Now, let's just read what he said, and then you can be seated. We're going to read a few verses. I'm going to let you be seated. Well, let's go ahead and just pray now. Father, we just thank you for the joyful letter. We thank you for the apostle of joy. And the Lord threw it all, in it all, and no matter what the enemy threw at him, he maintained his joy. And Lord... The world is looking at us and saying, where's the beef? Show me the real thing. Show me the proof of what God has done in you. Now, Lord, help us to learn from this King of the Apostles. In Jesus' name, amen. Look at your neighbor and tell him, watch out. Joy is going to get a hold of you. How many of you could stand a little more joy? Well, that's a pretty good Amen. Now watch this. Now I'm reading out of the Message Bible, and a lot of people have asked me, what version do you use? And I said, oh, about eight of them. Use about eight of them. I'll grab a verse, and I'll look at the way that I think it'll be best understood by you, and I'll pick that one. This is the Message Bible. He says, I want to report to you, friends, that my imprisonment here has had the opposite of its intended effect. Instead of being squelched, the message has prospered, the message being the gospel. Now look what happened when he was in prison. All the soldiers here and everyone else too found out that I'm in jail because of the Messiah. Wow. That piqued their curiosity and now they've learned all about him. Now I want you to notice, he's thrown in jail instead of moping and crying and playing a violin, the apostle of joy started witnessing to the jailers until all of them had heard it. He said, but most of the followers of Jesus here have become far more sure of themselves in the faith than ever. 
speaking out fearlessly about God, about the Messiah. Now, why were they bold? Why were the believers encouraged to speak out? Because Paul had been courageous and joyful and victorious in his trial, and it caught. It was contagious. Jesus is as much caught as he is taught. If you hang around somebody that's down all the time, I guarantee you, you're going to have the blues in about a month. I'm serious. If you hang around with somebody that's joyful all the time, you're going to learn their ways. The Bible says you better not hang around with an angry man lest you learn his ways and get a snare to your soul. So it matters who you run with. A lot of people may be acquaintances in your life, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't bring into your inner circle anybody that did not sharpen your faith and help you in your destiny with God. I won't. I don't. Don't have time for it. Okay? I don't have time for it. I just don't. I want somebody encouraging. I want somebody who's going to challenge me. I want somebody I can learn from. All right? So he goes on. Here's the wisdom nugget. Paul blossomed where he was planted. Paul blossomed where he was planted. He's in prison, but he blossomed. He made the most out of a bad situation, turning a lemon into lemonade. And how did he do this? By keeping his eyes on God, who always turns negatives into positives. God does. I don't care what you're going through. You can't, you can't outdo or negate Romans 8, 28. He is able to make all things work together for the good. It may take time. And I'm not saying everything's going to work out the way you wish it would. But if you will keep your eyes on him and trust him and walk with him, he will turn lemon into lemonade. Okay? And Paul knew this. Listen to his confidence in God as the passage continues. And I'm going to keep that celebration going because I know how it's going to turn out. Isn't that great? Sitting in jail, doesn't know but what he's going to be martyred. But he said, I know how it's going to turn out. Can you all say that with me together? I know how it's going to turn out. Now I want you to preach a little bit to the person next to you. Turn to him and tell him, I know how it's going to turn out. Now, you may not know all the details, but you know that it's going to turn out to the glory of God if you don't get bitter and you don't quit on God and you hang in there and walk with Him. There are some ifs, but if you do, God will turn it into lemonade. I know how it's going to turn out. I know how it's going to turn out. All right? Here he goes on. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus, Everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. That's great stuff. Everything he wants to do in and through me. Remember Philippians 1, 6? Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will finish it. The beginner is also the finisher. He who began is going to finish. Guess what? You are not your work. You are his work. And he's going to finish it. And so look at this now. Feel his spirit. Feel the rejoicing, overcoming attitude of Paul. He says, I can hardly wait. <laughs> he's sitting in jail. I can hardly wait. I have never had anybody sitting in jail talk to me this way. <laughs> it's always, woe is me, get me a better lawyer. <laughs> Watch this. 
He says, I know everything he's going to do in me and through me, it's going to be done. And I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. God's not going to let me down. I'm not going to be ashamed of the hope that I have. Because I know that I'm not going to be standing there looking stupid while people stare at me saying, where is your God? On the contrary, everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known, regardless of whether I live or I die. Man. You know, there are times when you're studying your Bible, it's really special moments. When you're sitting there and you're reading something you've read a thousand times, and all of a sudden, your spirit is able to reach out and touch the spirit of this person. And suddenly, the enormity of their faith, the greatness of their walk, the stupendousness of their character just reaches out and grabs you. I think sometimes we read this and we forget that a human being, just like you and me, wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. And can we just for a second touch the spirit of Paul here? What an amazing man. Suffered the loss of all things, counted them but rubbish, became persecuted, mocked, ridiculed, cast out, was the most brilliant scholar of his day, studied under Gamaliel, the most brilliant of his day could have taught theology with the best of any person on earth and talked them in circles. But he's lost it all. He's sitting in jail in rags, not knowing if he's going to live another day. Can you just reach out and touch his spirit? He says, man, I can't wait. <laughs> I know how this is going to turn out. I'm excited about what God's doing. Look, he says, they didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit. Isn't that great? They didn't shut me up, put me in this jail. They gave me a pulpit. I want you to say something with me. I take my pulpit with me everywhere I go. Everywhere you go, you've got a pulpit. Everywhere you go. And, and I'll tell you how I open the conversation with, with people that don't go to this church and that don't know Christ I, all the time. And I do it just pulling out a church card or one of the radio cards, just a little icebreaker. I say, hey, you know, I'm on the, I had a funny thing happen to me this week. I was in a group of people lost as a goose in a hailstorm. <laughs> Couldn't remotely identify with me. They asked me, it was a group of about 10 people. And, uh, me and Kathy were in this little gathering and I, and I, one of them said, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a minister. And it just went, and, and you know how they do? Oh, how nice. <laughs> oh. And, <laughs> and, and then somebody in the group who knew a little bit about me said, yeah, he's on the radio every day. And one of them said, oh, what station? I said, 91.7. It's a Christian station. And this woman went, oh, that's okay. <laughs> like I just said something really bad. I got the biggest kick out of that. I said, Kathy, did you hear that? Oh, that's okay. You know, if I, you know, if I'd said, you know, some hardcore rocks, all right, you know, 
And I said, Christian said, oh, that's okay. Oh, that's okay. Oh, a minister. How nice. And then one of these guys blurts out, well, I'm a sinner. And I said, well, you know what? So am I. But it was so funny when you get out there where there is no touchstone of faith. There's nobody walking with God and it comes up. Get into an elevator sometime and just say Jesus. <laughs> Start pushing buttons quicker than their floor to get out. It's funny. It's amazing to me. There's such power in that name. And there's power resting on people who know him. And it's sort of like, uh-oh, a minister, uh-oh. All right. Paul said, wherever you, wherever you put me, I got my pulpit with me. No matter where you put me, I got my pulpit with me. And I'm going to preach. Alive, I'm Christ's messenger. Dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life. What does that say? I'm going to go back there a minute. Life versus even more life. Yes. I can't lose. Say with me, I can't lose. What a positive attitude. I can't lose. If you put me in jail, I got my pulpit with me. You let me out, I got my pulpit with me. I don't care what you do with me. I'm going to preach and I'm going to win people to Jesus. I don't care what hole you put me in. I'm going to preach to whoever is in there with me. Doesn't matter. Now, he continues with his incredible positive attitude, even towards so-called Christians. And I want you to catch this. He's going to switch gears. He's been talking about the loss that he's been witnessing to in jail. Now he's going to talk about his brethren. I want you to notice what the brethren were doing. He said, even towards so-called Christians who rejoiced at his misfortune. Have you ever had a Christian rejoice at your misfortune? Have you? Oh, Brother Jeff, that doesn't happen in church. What church do you go to? Look at this. Look at what happened to him. I'm quoting now. We're going on in Philippians 1. He says, it's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight. You know what he's saying there? There were people who were jealous of me who said they were Christians. And they probably were Christians. But they were jealous of Paul. And when he got thrown in jail... Instead of praying for him, they said, hot dog, now we can step into the spotlight. Mr. Sunshine is out of the way. Mr. Wonderful, Mr. Charisma, Mr. Pray over handkerchiefs and pass them out and people get healed. He's out of the way. And so instead of, instead of praying for his deliverance, they rejoiced at his imprisonment. Christians. If that's me and I learn about it, I deal with anger. Can you be honest? Would you deal with anger? If it came to you, hey, there's a group of them out there in the church, now that you're in jail for preaching the gospel, they think it's great. Because now they're stepping into your place. They're trying to overthrow your position. They're trying to take your place. Would you, would you what would you do with that? I think you'd have some negative reactions. You'd have to deal with some negative emotions. But then he talks about another group. The others do it with the best heart in the world. That is, preach. Look at this. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I'm here defending the message, the gospel. 
wanting to help. But the others, now that I'm out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out of it for themselves. Their motives are bad. Now, church, you can do a right thing out of a wrong motive. Have you ever seen anybody do that? You can do a right thing with the wrong motive. You can get out there and and give money away to the poor so that you will be seen doing it. It's right to give to the poor, but it's with the wrong motive. Jesus said you can fast, you can pray, and you can give to the poor. With With the wrong motive, you get your reward. When everybody says, ooh, aren't they spiritual? You just got it. That's all you're going to get. He says, they see me as their competition. And so the worse it goes for me, the better they think it goes for them. Now, uh, I'm going to tell you in the church world, unfortunately, this is real today. There are churches that are very competitive. There are churches that are not thrilled when other churches prosper. Can I tell you that if God really, really blesses your socks off, you better get ready. Get ready for Joseph's brothers. They will come out of the woodwork and they will hate your guts because God has blessed you. Joseph had the coat of many colors. The coat of many colors represented the favor of the father. The favor of the father is what they, repre- what they resented. They hated that coat. Notice when they apprehended Joseph and threw him into the pit, first thing they did was rip that coat off of him. They ripped off the sign of the Father's favor because that's what they resented, the Father's favor on his life. When God anoints you, that's like the coat of many colors. When God gives you an anointing, a gifting, an open door, a blessing, it's like the coat of many colors. And you're going to have two kinds of people that watch your blessing. Those who can rejoice with you, receive you, be happy for you, and spur you on, and those who don't like what's happening to you don't understand why it's not happening to them and they hate that coat and if they can grab a hold of you and throw you down and grab that coat off of you they will as fast as you can say Jesus help me but here's the deal they might take away from you something you've done but they can't take away from you what did it They can't take off of you the favor of God because God put it there and it's not take offable. And that just drives them even more crazy. Well, I thought he was down. I thought she was down. I didn't think they'd ever be up again. Listen, do you think that they thought this is it for Paul? Next thing we hear, his head's going to roll by the martyr's sword. But he got up again. And he said, you know what? Even if I don't, that's okay, but I know their motives. Now, how did, he, how did he overcome knowing that there were people who wanted him out of the picture who said they were brethren? Wow! Here's how he did it. How am I to respond? I've decided that I really don't care about their motives. Look at that attitude. Way to go, Paul. I've decided I don't care about their motives. Their motives don't bother me. Whether mixed, bad, or indifferent, every time one of them opens his mouth, isn't that great? 
Christ is proclaimed. So I just cheer them on. He said, if they're out there preaching, so people will say, what a good preacher they are. Paul says, I don't care. I don't care what their motive is. If Jesus comes flying out of their mouth and somebody gets saved, I rejoice. So, once again, what could have been a miserable situation, sitting in jail, sitting in rags, not knowing if it was your last day on earth, and on top of that, knowing that the church, at least a slice of the church, so-called church, was glad that you were in jail, rejoicing that you were out of the picture, that could have made you just a bitter, angry cat sitting in jail, but not for the attitude king. The attitude king had this incredible attitude. The overcoming attitude king faced with a competitive, jealous group of men who rejoiced over his imprisonment so they could grab the spotlight. Paul simply did what? He rejoices. His attitude was this. Their motives may be wrong, but at least Jesus is preached. Can't get this guy down. You know, Paul drove the devil crazy. Can't knock this dude down no matter what I do. Here's the wisdom nugget here. You can't control others, but you can control yourself. Don't allow the fleshly actions of others to rob your joy. Amen. Don't allow the fleshly attitudes and actions of others to rob your joy. Well, if they throw themselves in the trash can, why should I care? It, see, this really matters. Mature believers think of others. Finally, Paul exhorts us, meanwhile, live in such a way that you're a credit to the message of Jesus Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Whether or not I ever show up to look you in the eyeball and ask you how you've been doing, how you've been living, don't let that affect the way you walk. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear of it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Why? Should you not be intimidated? Because when you're not intimidated by your enemies, this is a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed. Because they say, wow, a normal human being would be full of fear right now and be intimidated. This person is not full of fear and not intimidated. What supernatural faith or what is it they've got that they're not normal? They're not afraid like they should be. And they go, their faith in Christ must be real. I'm condemned. It's the way it works. They're going to be destroyed, but they also realize when they see your faith that you're going to be saved, even by God himself. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. This is Paul talking. He goes on and says, there's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. Talk to you about suffering in just a moment. He says, first of all, live right. Live right. Live a clean life. Say with me, somebody's always watching. Somebody's always watching. Live a clean life. If no human's watching, God's watching. 
He says, second, walk in unity, which is comprised of one mind, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Why are we all here together in a church? Because we're striving together. Let me show you what striving means. It doesn't mean to fight in this verse. Striving means to contend alongside a person as athletes on the same team. So I guess in a way I'm, I'm the quarterback. I got wide receivers. I've got tackles. I've got centers. I've got corners. I've got all the team out there. But you know, what are we all doing? We're striving together to get the ball, the gospel, to the world. So he said, instead of fighting each other, strive together like people on the same team. So if you catch a ball, hey, if you succeed, I succeed. And I tell our staff this all the time. So let me tell you something. Uh, I'm for you. I'm rooting for you. I'm pulling for you. I'm praying for you because we're on a team. And if you fail, I fail. If I fail, you fail. If you win, I win. And if I win, you win. So you better shout me down when I preach. And I'll shout you down. Because we're on a team. And that's exactly the way Paul saw the church. Tongues again. (laughs) Um, Jeff McLeod, you're going to have to edit this out. God bless you. All right. We are to join hands. We are to join hands together. Now, finally, he says, be prepared to suffer for Christ. My concern about American Christianity, I'll say this in closing, is this. I think an entire generation of Christians have been unprepared for suffering. Uh, We've been taught, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. God's going to give you everything you want. He's Santa Claus, and you're the receiver, and uh, God's all about just giving you what you want. I I believe in having a good confession. And I believe God wants to prosper people, but that is not the the core of the gospel. The core of the gospel is to save your soul, to bless you spiritually, richly spiritually. And the rest of it, Paul said, sometimes it comes down to just having food and clothing. If it's just food and clothing, learn to be content. But here's the deal. I think we have been so pampered in American Christianity that it's beyond our comprehension what it would be like to really be persecuted for the name of Christ. So let me show you something. So then, Paul says, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. Peter said that. Be ready to suffer too. As I'm preaching to you right now, there are people in this world being killed for their faith. Jailed for it, imprisoned for it, whipped, beaten for it, uh, rejected for it, losing their jobs for it. The Bible says you will suffer persecution if you live godly in Christ Jesus. And that's a promise you may not want to claim, but it's real. And when you suffer for his name's sake, and we're closing here, when you suffer... For the name of Jesus, don't be intimidated by your enemies. I haven't, I've been persecuted far more by believers than non-believers. I mean, probably you too. I'd rather face a pack of hell's angels than a pack of uh, religious people. Hell's angels will have more mercy on you. 
But now, here's the deal. I have been persecuted for my faith before. I have been laughed at before and mocked and ridiculed before. Happened to me several times uh, in college. And, I mean, it was real. I mean, just laughed at, mocked, ridiculed, walked away, treated like I had the plague because I didn't let my testimony go. And I shared Jesus with these people who were my peers and my classmates. And I'll tell you, it affected me. There's nothing like being looked at by people whose opinion you care about. Nobody likes to be made fun of. And here you have your peers who you would like to get along with, and they look you in the eye and make fun of you and mock you and ridicule you and won't have a thing to do with you. It affected me. And I was riding home from college one day after a particularly real experience with this. And the Holy Spirit said to me, didn't I tell you if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you? And I said, well, yeah, but gosh, man. (laughs) I didn't know what happened in college. And the Lord said, don't be surprised by this, Jeff. Don't be surprised by this. He said, when it happens to you, don't be intimidated by your enemies. What I had to do was walk back in class with my head held high, smiling and saying hello to people who had mocked me, ridiculed me, the whole class. I couldn't be intimidated. He says, well... I know what he said. I've already read it to you. To them, when you're not intimidated, it is a proof that you're walking with the real God. So I think persecution is coming to America. It's already here. I mean, big time. The liberal media has pulled the mask off. They no longer care that you know that they really do not like Christians. That's fact, Jack. They don't like them at all. And they think what you believe in is stupid. So you're going to have to learn to not be intimidated and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Peter wrote on this further, and I'm going to close with this. Let's stand together, and we'll just read it together. He said, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. As if some strange thing were happening to you. Instead, be what? Very glad. Who's he sound like there? Paul. Instead, be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian. For then the glorious Spirit of God is resting on you. Amen. So here's the summary, and we'll close. You can't control others. You can control your own response to them. Be unselfish in your decision-making. Live right by living clean and walking in unity and working as a team to spread the gospel. Be prepared to suffer for His name's sake. And don't be intimidated by your enemies when you do suffer. Lord, we just thank you for your blessing tonight. Lord, thank you for strengthening us with your word. Father, we pray, help us to be strong in this evil and wicked generation that is by the day turning from you. Help us to shine as lights in the world. In the mighty name of Jesus, now with your head bowed, can you just say, 
with Paul, I put on joy. No matter what's happening around me, I can control my response. And I put on joy. In Jesus' name, I will not be intimidated when I am persecuted for his name. Amen. Give him a hand of praise tonight. Thank you, Lord.